Well, good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. As we continue with our sermon series on soul work, September marks the end of intimacy, right? It's all over after September. So you can forget about intimacy. We're going to move on to authenticity. No, we're not going to forget about intimacy. You need to keep doing the work to develop greater intimacy with God, self, and others. But today is going to be the last sermon dedicated to this idea of intimacy. And then next week, we actually have a guest speaker, a pastor from the Czech Republic, who we support as a church. He's going to be here preaching with you while I am out suffering for 26.2 miles running the Twin Cities Marathon like an idiot. Um, and then I'll be back the week after that, and we'll dive into authenticity. So as we wrap up the idea of intimacy today, and really, I, I really, really, really hope this is just starting to scratch the surface for you, and you spend the next months, years, the rest of your life pursuing greater intimacy with God, self, and others, because you and I desperately need it. Our community needs it. I'm going to invite you to stand as I read Psalm 63 this morning to get our hearts centered on this idea of intimacy. Psalm 63, this is from David, the warrior king after God's own heart, who was himself a mess. It's on page 479 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along and see God's word for yourself. David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed. And meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit this morning would give us this type of hunger for you. That we would earnestly seek you, that our souls would thirst for you, that our flesh would faint for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with, with, the, with the water of the, the, what the world has to offer, but that we would dig deeper to the well that doesn't run dry. May you give us a supernatural hunger and thirst for you and for righteousness. And Lord, may you remind us that you have come to fill that hunger and thirst. And so, Lord, this morning we want to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we want to experience you fresh and anew. Amen. You may have a seat. Psalm 63 attests to the soul's craving for intimacy and satisfaction. In the midst of a dry and weary land, a desolate land, a land of famine, David's heart longs for God. Now sometimes when, when the Psalms talk about this 
dry and desolate, weary land. David is out in the wilderness. He's, he's running from oppressors, and he's actually in a dry and weary land. But oftentimes, he's talking about the soul in this world, which is a dry and desolate land with all of these false promises of hope and filling your own soul. You try those things. You try to experience what the world has to offer. You try to fill up your soul, and yet you're left wanting. And so oftentimes when the psalmist talks about the dry and desolate land, it's what the world has to offer, the deeper longings and cravings of the soul. And the world doesn't fill it, but God does. And so he knows that. And in the midst of this, he cries out for God. G.K. Chesterton, a philosopher and theologian in England around the turn of the 19th century, is quoting having said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Now, let me put it in a little modern day quote for us. Every time you click that link, you refresh that page, you keep checking that sports score, you keep scrolling down, you swipe to the right or to the left. I'm not sure how that works. I was married before that was an option. You fill that Amazon shopping cart or that target order pickup. You take that extra hit or that extra drink. You repost that slanderous tweet. Binge watch that next Netflix show. Insistently check or trust Fox News or CNN News. Have I left anyone out yet? I'm hoping to get all of us. Every time you do something like that, every time we run to the things that the world has to offer, we're expressing our desire and intimacy for God. And so follow your soul for a minute. The things that you're so ashamed of, that you keep doing, that you keep doing, or that other people are frustrated that you keep doing and you keep doing, what if you change the narrative? What if rather than saying, I'm just so bad, what if you said, I'm just so hungry for God, I'm hungry for something that satisfies or something that fills my soul? That's what David is doing here. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek for you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. Look at verse 5, he says, my soul will be satisfied, and remember, this is in God, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with the fat and the rich food. Like every time you overeat, you give into gluttony, whatever it is for you, whatever your pattern of sin is that frustrates you and frustrates the people who are close enough to you to see and experience that pattern, what if every time you reminded yourself, I'm running to something that runs out, I'm running to a well that runs dry, I'm running to food that doesn't deeply satisfy, I need God, I need God, I need God, my soul is hungry and thirsty for God. I think that's the invitation of the scriptures to us, that, that we would go a little bit deeper with our, with our pursuit of holiness and our sin management. Because we can't actually manage sin. Sin is a pointer, it's a reminder to us that we were created for more. We were created for holiness, and a holy God has granted us a life of righteousness, and we find it in him and him alone. So as we wrap up our month discussing intimacy with God, self, and others, I simply want you to know that this type of hunger in Psalm 63 is what I want personally and what I want for our church family, our church community. 
I've said recently in just discussing this sermon series with some people that, that I feel like I'm a pastor who is learning how to preach with public displays of intimacy. And I sound a little bit weird, right? But, but, but for years, I've, I've always felt weird getting done preaching and then doing a little interaction, chit-chat, small talk with you. I'm sorry. It's just one of the weird things that you come off the stage and I'm like, what? I've been assessing, why is that? And because when I preach, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm disclosing, I'm explaining some intimate conversations and interactions that I've had with God. Some, some pastors and some churches, they're all about public downloads of information, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, some of you need more information. Information may help stir intimacy for you. And so I don't, wanna, I don't want you to go on a, like a witch hunt for churches. Well, which churches and pastors do public downloads of information and which one do public displays of intimacy and one is better than the other? No, we need both. We need all different styles. But, but my heart is that I would grow in intimacy with God and with you, that you would grow in intimacy with God and with others because, oh, how we need it. And I see it all over these scriptures. Amen? When you start thinking about intimacy with God and others and you start reading the scriptures with that word in mind, you can't get away from it. You're like, why have I been so worried about theology for all these years and neglected my soul? Seems like David here, he, he, he's not, and theology is extremely important. It helps create intimacy. Proper theology is really helpful. But do you notice this intimate relationship that David has with God? It's not about just making sure we check all of our theological T's and dot all of our theological I's. He's pouring out his soul, looking for God to fill his soul. And so this morning as we wrap up, I want you to know that this idea of Psalm 63 is what I want for our church. If you're not interested in that, this is probably a good time to cut bait and find a different church that doesn't want to push your intimacy buttons. Because this is where we're going. This is what I want God to do in me and in us. And I want to do a quick summary slash review of intimacy before I have two of my friends come up and talk about this topic with me. What is intimacy? Why pursue it? Who do you need intimacy with? And, and when and how do you get it? I'm just going to go through these very quickly and then our panel is going to come up. What is intimacy? Built on my definition from last week a little bit, intimacy is being seen, known, and loved as you truly are, seeing, knowing, and loving God as he truly is, and seeing and knowing and loving others as they truly are. That is where intimacy is found. So that's what intimacy is. Why focus on intimacy? We focus on intimacy because our souls were created for relational intimacy with God, self, and others. And if we don't fill this need in healthy ways, we'll either, one, suppress our need for it and live dry, stiff, and relationally distant lives. And we all know people like that. Some of you are people like that. Or two... We'll express our need for it by giving in to the desires of the eyes, the flesh, and the devil. We'll just fill our lives with things that leave us empty, wanting more. You could probably add some other things that we'll do if we don't fill our tank for intimacy in healthy, godly ways. But these are the two that come to mind for me. And this is why it's so important. And I, I could... I, could, I was tempted to go through a list of all the different evidences of this in our society of ways that people are filling their lives with false intimacy and they're living dry, distant lives or they're living these carnal, fleshly lives that also leave you dry and empty, but I'm not going to do it. I, th I think you know what it is for yourself and you can experience this in culture. Let's keep moving on. Who do you need inti intimacy with? Oh, jumping. Who do you need intimacy with? Well, I, I, I encourage you to start creating a list of people you need to pursue intimacy with. This is the soul work, right? 
If you really want to go down this path, start creating a list this week of people that you need to pursue intimacy with. For me, as I've done this over the past 15 months, it's God number one. I have to, have to, have to prioritize time with God. If I don't, I will suffer. And I will not remain a healthy Christian or a pastor. And I don't even care about remaining a pastor. I care about remaining a healthy Christian. And I have to pursue intimacy with God. If I don't, I will shipwreck my most important relationship. And then that will play out in me shipwrecking my other most important relationships, with, which is the list of who I need to prioritize intimacy with. God, my wife Brittany, my kids, and my friends. And then from there, it's like community, it's church, it's all that. But if you feel like you're getting pushed off a little bit, it's probably because you are. Now, I want to be accessible. I want to be approachable. I want to be in relationship as a pastor. I love relationship with people in the church. But if I'm neglecting intimacy with God, Brittany, my, fr- my kids, or my friends, I will have no more church relationships. And this is true for all of us. Figure out your list of people that you need to prioritize intimacy with. And then lastly, when slash how will you start prioritizing intimacy I would encourage you, all of you, this week to start creating a list of ingredients and practices, then start cooking with your list of ingredients and prioritizing your practices. Last week, I shared a whole list of ingredients that are good for me. Your ingredient list may be a little bit different. You might be a vegetarian. You might be on the carnivore diet. There's actually a few guys in our church right now on the carnivore diet. I love that idea. You just eat meat. Apparently, it's healthy. I don't know. I haven't tried it. I don't think I could get away with it. But you might have a different ingredients list, but you need to spend some time thinking through what actually creates intimacy for me, what what helps in that, and then how am I going to actually prioritize doing these things, using these ingredients. Here's the ingredients that I shared last week, and, and two of the most important ones for me right now are time and space, slowing down enough to be present and attentive to God and to other people. And then vulnerability and risk, taking off the mask, opening up, sharing the story, confessing sin, being honest about my impulses, my judgments, my joys, my frustrations. And that has brought me so much intimacy in the last 15 months with God, self, and others. And so I encourage you to start figuring this out for yourself. Now, I'm one person, and I'm wired differently than many of you. And so some of what you're going to experience at Park Community Church is going to be frustrating to those of you who want a tell-me-how-to-do-it application type of sermon. Because how it looks for me is different than how it looks for you. And the person you're sitting next to, and the person that you're married to, and the person that you're roommates with, and the person that you wish you were closer to, and your co it's different. And so I'm not going to give you how-to-do lists. I want to give you some ingredients and some examples and then invite you to some self-discovery in the journey on your own. And so to do that this morning, I'm going to call up John Ness and Linda Gunderson, two members of our church who have helped me a ton in my journey with intimacy. Things that they've said, the way that they've listened to me. Oh, you two have been so life-changing in my life and my wife Brittany's life and, and in our church. And so thank you, thank you. Grab a seat and we are going to, oh, perfect. And we are going to hear about intimacy with God from you two. That's you, Linda. Linda Gunderson, John Ness, two of my favorite people. I'm so grateful for you two and the way that God has used you in my life. Um, I could go, I could take all of your time and just tell the church how God has used you guys in my life, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, Let me pray again, 
and then we'll do this little interview. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the time and space that you've given us as a church family to be together, to interact with you, to engage with you through singing and through preaching and also through this conversation. Lord, I pray that as you continue to form John and Linda and myself into your image and likeness, as you continue to draw us towards greater intimacy with you, self, and others, I pray that this conversation would be helpful for our community to pursue greater intimacy with you, with self, and others. For your glory, our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. Amen. All right, first question. Why even bother with pursuing intimacy with God, self, and others? I got the phone. It is on. Good morning, everybody. Um, why pursue intimacy with God? Um, intimacy is a relationship where you feel secure, well, you feel safe to be yourself. And I think about it, I'm like, okay, so if I can be really truly myself with the creator of the universe that has the power to change and do anything, it's like, whoa, that's so cool. Um, so the journey for me really has been um, learning to let myself be known to God and then also to know him, um, pursuing intimacy with him has helped me really, really kind of, I mean, I find myself just listening to Andrew talk and go, yes, 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 yes. That's exactly what happened to me. You know, just learning that I am so loved. And it's weird because sometimes I think I started there, you know, when I started following Jesus when I was a little kid. But somehow I just feel like I kind of lost it along the way serving him. Um, and I really needed to get back to that place of um, allowing myself to recognize, to look in scripture and say, yeah, God really does love me just as I am, the mess that I am. Um, and, you know, the question about intimacy with yourself, I think, has to do with um, taking that mask off. I think Andrew talked a little bit about that, too, that false self of, I really want you to like me. Um, and, and the things that I don't want other people to see and I don't want God to see, they become a motivational force in my life that really is unhealthy. So in this journey for me, um, uncovering those hidden motivations of my heart has been hugely helpful. Um, Enneagram, some of you know Enneagram. That was hugely, John chuckles, hugely helpful. Um, and I, I, I chuckle now when I look back now because I'm an Enneagram 2, which means I really do want you to love me. And um, thank you. <laughs> but it becomes this unhealthy motivator in my life. And when a couple years ago, when I was just starting to dig into the Enneagram, is when Brooke reached out and said, hey, Linda, do you want to do announcements? You know, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I am terrified to be in front of people. And I am. You know, but I was like, okay, God, is this what you want to use to help me face this unhealthy? Like, it made me stop and go, why do I hate being up in front of people? Well, because I really don't want to fail. I really don't want to make a mistake. I don't want people to go, oh, you know, look at her. And I want you to like me. So it really made me stop and go, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do to help, like, pull that mask off of my soul and reveal those hidden motivations, then here we go, you know. So 
you got me doing announcements still. <laughs> awesome. John, why, why bother pursuing intimacy with God's help and others? I think uh, the rev revelation I had a couple years ago was uh, something that I heard somewhere. I don't remember. That's how information flows. And it was about information. We as a society, as a nation, as a people in 2022, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us are so overwhelmed with all of the information, all the things every day, all the time, like to even know what to focus on. So the statistic was something along the lines that um, by the year 1500, it was the first time that information had doubled. It took another 250 years to around the time that we became, you know, the United States of America, about 1750, sometimes 70, that the information doubled again. And then in 150 years, it doubled again. And then by time we got to the um, 19... Uh, 45, uh, after the war, information doubled again in just 25 years. In 2022, with all the computing and all of the servers and everything, information now doubles approximately every 12 hours. So we are worried about the, the war in the Ukraine, the tragedies in um, Africa, and the problems that there with the women's suppression of women in the East and Iran and what's going on in South America and poverty and every time you open the paper to Andrew's point about the news, whatever your news source is, we are just overwhelmed with the tsunami of information all the time. So people think, oh, I need to have more connections, more intimacy. It's like, well, guess what? I have 2,000 Facebook friends. Am I more connected? Do I have more intimacy because I have more social media connections? No. This is now the generation, a lot of you who grew up on social media, grew up with social media, are known as the lonely generation because people don't have intimate relationships. So the solution, or the tragedy, because I just looked this up while Andrew was speaking, sorry. I have 148 apps on my phone, which is redunculous because that means that I have 148 passwords at least that I need to remember, and part of this process of information overwhelm, overwhelmization, I'm gonna make up a new word, uh, is, is that we have to constantly learn, unlearn, and then relearn and password reset. But on the other hand, the most important app on my phone is having the Bible on my app. And so the good news is, is that we have a solution to being overwhelmed, and it's God's word every day, all the time and his word brings us life and fullness and completeness and we don't need all the other things even though the world tells us more and more more and more and more and more, more so that's why great could you briefly describe your journey towards greater intimacy um i would say for me i became a believer when i was just a young child um, and my lifelong verse really has been, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So there's a part of me that feels like I've been on this journey for a long time. Um, and yet, um, I would say, you know, five years ago, um, I went back to school to become a spiritual director, which was a, just a whole nother, like, calling um, that God led me to. And I was exposed to all these spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines and I I was like 
what the heck? Where have these been my whole life? Like, I was on the mission field. I should have, like, known this stuff. I don't know. It was really an eye-opener for me um, that I had gone through so much of my Christian life without knowing about these things. So kudos to Andrew and all of you that are getting exposed to this now. And I just really hope that you can really embrace um, what you're hearing and learning and lean into it. And don't wait till you're old like me and John. No offense, John. (laughs) Um, And then I would say as I started to put some of these practices into my life, um, I felt like nothing was changing. You know, so if that happens to you, if you're like, okay, I'm going to try some of these practices that Andrew's been talking about or I'm reading about, you know, for me, I was kind of like, I just don't know. I don't think things have changed much. But, you know, when Andrew asked me to be on this panel and was talking about which spiritual practices, you know, have had the greatest impact, I stopped to think about it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, so many in so many ways. You know, so it's like watching kids. You know, when they're your kids, you don't notice that they're changing. But if you see them every couple years, you go, oh, my gosh, they're totally different. So um, don't lose heart as you start out. Um, Keep going. I heard something really um, cool this week that just I've been stewing on, um, and it was talking about our partnership with God. You know, there's our part, and there's God's part, um, and they talked about spiritual practices being our part, and that spiritual practices really are about tuning our heart to training our heart to love God more. And that is our part. You know, even as you were reading um, Psalm 63, which I have a note in my Bible, that was my first like two-day silence and solitude retreat was over that psalm. So it was kind of fun to get a flashback. But verse 8, I just scratched it down on my piece of paper, says, my soul clings to you. That's our part. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And that's God's part. So as you lean into new spiritual practices, um, that's our part, you know, Um, and that's been my journey. And then the rest is up to God, and we can't dictate to him when he speaks, how he speaks, what he's going to do, because it is a mystery, and it's up to him. What was that first part of the verse? The Yeah. My soul clings to you. (laughs) I was reading something this uh, past week that my wife um, was reading and shared with me, something about differentiated union. And the picture that the author gave us was of a sea sponge. And this ties into our uh, us being in some ways kind of more like be like the sea sponge, that we are forever clinging to the rock, which is Christ and uh, our faith in Jesus. And we are still differentiated. So all of this stuff that is flowing all around us all the time, the ocean, doesn't necessarily change us. We can get some nutrition from that. It flows through us. The word of God flows through us and and fills us. But it's our attachment to the rock that keeps us in place, that keeps us from drifting someplace uh, that we don't want to be or don't want to go. So thank you for (laughs) that. That was not what I was going to say, but thank you for that. Andrew and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago in terms of the journey of, I think in my 20s, it was very much about um, school, education, getting married. And in my 30s, it was very much about training, which was training um, spiritually and um, 
clinically uh, as for part of my career and starting a family. In my 40s, I think it was a real, for me, was the, the first part of a full stop of um, really leaning into um, some practices that we'll talk about later probably, um, but finding time to think about um, what, who God is in my life and what, so what, what, what difference does it make? How does it impact me? How can it be more intentional? And then in my 50s, I think, became really more focused on being more authentic, which good news, we're going to hear about that next month. So we'll learn what I'm supposed to have. We'll figure that out learned. next month. Check that <laughs> off. Leave it for them. And now in my 60s, I think um, much more focused on being uh, more intentional and living out of who God says I am and all that life that has been brought into the sponge that is my life that I am more hopefully in my 60s, 60% full of, of Christ in me and less of my 20s when I was probably 20% of Christ in me that, again, to Linda's point, that we are always changing, we're always growing, we're always have the opportunity to be a little bit better version of ourselves all the time and because of that information that is part of the stream that if we can filter that out to find the things that really nourish and encourage us, that's how we really live a more full life. Thank you. How about practices? As you've been journeying closer to God and learning, discovering what it's like to have intimacy, what are some of the ingredients and practices that you guys have found to be helpful? Um, I already mentioned quickly, silence and solitude has been um, a huge one. And for me, it's like big chunks of silence and solitude have been just good for my soul to slow down. Um, journaling um, has been super helpful as well. Um, just slowing down, and you're going to talk about that, but just slowing down. Um, but the one that I really kind of wanted to talk about this morning was prayer, which, I mean, we all know, it's like, what do you do to get closer to God? Read your Bible and pray, right? I mean, I've heard that from the time I was little. Um, but I think for a good chunk of my life, prayer really um, was more transactional and not very relational. So it was me, you know, with my list of um, things that I wanted God to do or change or, you know, it was me talking <laughs> and God listening. And I think of my relationship with Mike, my husband, and um, if, if I only went to him when I wanted him to do things, like uh, the toilet needs unclogging, if you wouldn't mind, you know, the needs to mow in the back and this needs to happen, this needs to get fixed. And by the way, the neighbor needs some help too, so if you could go over there, right? I mean, it really is so often how we interact with God. So I think this journey for me has been um, s slowing down enough to listen. You know, John 10 says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Um, and we can learn his voice. So that has been um, a major change for me is just leaning into prayer listening more to him, um, slowing down, um, interacting with him more. I kind of chuckled when Andrew was talking about his experience in silence and solitude and going fishing. 
you know, because I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Like there was a time that I was like, had a day, Mike was gone, and I was kind of like talking to God, like, well, what, what, I don't know, what do you want to do today? And it's kind of like, what do you want to do, right? <laughs> what do you want to do? Um, and I was like, I love animals so much. So it was like, God is like, let's go to the zoo. I'm like, sweet. So we had a zoo pass, you know, because we had grandkids. So I went to the zoo with God for the day. And it was so awesome just to, you know, that prayer can be enjoying each other's company, even without words. It can be just like, oh, God, look at that penguin. He's so cool, you know, and just being together and enjoying each other's company. So that's been a big one for me. Linda. Oh. Go ahead. I was just going to say, plug, Wednesday. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit more on Wednesday in the seminar prayer as a means of intimacy with God. So I'll talk a little more about that then. Perfect. I was just going to say, if somebody wanted to learn how to pray more intimately, how could they do that? <laughs> Wednesday, here, 630. Uh, one of the practices, uh, so I am an Enneagram 3 which means I have a strong need to achieve. I like to make lists. I like to check things off lists. My day is filled with, like, my whole daily schedule from the time I wake up is just blocked. Block from 6.30 or 6.05 when I wake up until literally I almost go to bed. So I like this sort of idea of getting things done. So the practice for me ha that has probably been the most impactful is the practice of slowing and really coming to a full stop, practicing silence and solitude, which is like, well, that's easy. You should be able to do that all the time. Yes, and maybe for some people and some Enneagrams, it may be easier to create that space, but for me, it had to become very intentional to the point that my wife would say, you need to go away. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I've made a reservation for you someplace else. Please just go and spend some time uh, getting your head back together, um, which has been how she loves me because she knows when I get a little, you know, overwhelmed with life and with things. And that importance of silence and solitude is really trying to hear from God, not like, who does the world say I am? Who does the world believe that I need to be? It's more of God, who do you say that I am? Who am I in you? Who am I apart from you? Nothing. Who am I in God? All the things that he's created for me. I think it was a uh, part of the journey of thinking, you know, not thinking of really interfacing, of really having to deal with a lot of the lies that we grow up with, of the things that you begin to believe about yourself, they're just not true, that, um, you know, the, that I am not enough, you're not doing it right, you're not enough, you're, you're, you're not worthwhile. I think for um, a lot of people that have struggled with that, and to being reminded by God himself that I am enough and I am enough for him because he created me to be this person that I am today. So silence and solitude has been in the midst of my busyness, my value of busyness and my impatience with things that are not getting done fast enough is that slowing and actually stopping. And so for people who are new to the practice, I think um, sometimes it's kind of scary, like I have some friends that have tried it and after a few hours it's like, oh, I got bored, it was too, I didn't know what to do. It's like, that's okay. Start with an hour of set aside time, start with a couple hours. This last uh, silence and solitude retreat I did was two nights, three days-ish, and it was 
not long enough now because there's so much more to be done, so much to be discovered, so much more time to create space and time to be with God that's not just, you know, binging on Netflix or something. It's really different in the sense of the intentionality of that prayer life of wanting to hear from God, not just the Santa Claus God, like here's all the things I want you to do in my life and here's the list of what I want to do and here's my progression for my life goals. It's more stopping and God, what do you have for me in the season? John, keep that mic. While your list is on the ground, I want to test all this theory. <laughs> Next question. Let's see how the Enneagram oh. 3 does without his list. You can grab it if you want. Um, John laughed. When Linda mentioned Enneagram earlier, John laughed because we had an email going on about the questions and the order of questions, and we were all like, well, based off of the way that I'm wired with my Enneagram or whatever, and it's just funny. Um, John, what have you discovered to be the risk and or reward of intimacy, pursuing intimacy? I think the risk for people, including myself in this, is that there's a risk of rejection. And if you've been on the world long enough, and if you have had friends since preschool or kindergarten that um, not everybody likes everybody, and not everybody has affinity with everybody, and this idea that you're kind of in or you're not in, actually, you're in or you're out, um, I think that's a huge risk of um, putting yourself out there into a relationship and say, oh, this is a person I feel affinity towards, I want to be friends with them, and they're like, eh, I'm not, you know, not feeling it, don't, don't want to be, and then I think that can cause a person to retreat a little bit more inside, like people don't like me. <laughs> My mom famously has said uh, forever when I was growing up, to have a friend is to be a friend, and so I think as an advice to people in this community, I think that's so important to not only think about what I need, but how can I be a friend to other people? And I think that's been very life-giving in a, uh, a few different ways. I think for those of us that uh, are in married relationships, I think that risk is also true in our marriages of letting our, our spouses get to know us better and um, helping us on that journey to know what it is that we need, how can we serve each other. And for those of us that when we were single had friendships that helped meet some of those needs of giving friends um, permission, which is, I think, really important to say, if I'm really screwing it up, I need you to tell me uh, to straighten things out to be better, rather than don't, don't tell me how to live my life, don't tell me what to do. It's like out of love that people can, we can give people permission to be in our lives and to help us uh, make um, strategic corrections. That's really cool. Um, I kind of looked at this question a little bit more from my relationship with God and intimacy with him. And the first thought that went through my head is, it's all reward. There's no like risk or downside. But then as I thought about it, I was like, you know, whenever you say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. So as I, I have leaned into slowing down and, you know, spiritual practices, it has meant saying no, you know, sometimes no to ministry here at Park, sometimes no to ministry in my job. Um, it means sometimes Mike and I are both extroverts, you know, Myers-Briggs, ENFP, like to have fun, you know, so sometimes it means saying no to having people over. 
you know, um, and that's been different for Mike and I too, for, for me to just go, you know what, I just, I just can't do it. I need to slow down. So it does sometimes mean saying no, but the reward is just so awesome. Um, I think my relationship with God is just so different than it used to be. It is um, just my safe place um, to be with him. Um, I think it has also just changed um, my, I long for heaven. I just, I think the more I draw near to God, the more I'm like so ready to be done here. <laughs> just like, oh, just get me there quick. You know, which changes then how you live too. You know, um, it helps me not be so, um, come, you know, feel compelled to be caught up in the world. And so I, I see that as a reward as well. Thank you. Um, just as we wrap up, what uh, what's a passage of scripture that has motivated you to pursue intimacy with God? Uh, I had, well, it's hard. <laughs> How do you pick one? The Bible is the answer. Uh, <laughs> I um, have been thinking and meditating on this verse uh, from uh, John that uh, is maybe a segue to next spring, John 15, verse 4. Uh, remain in me as I also remain in you. It's that idea of this differentiating union that God is in us. We are alive and live because God in us, but we are also a vine that is separate from, or can be separated um, from God. Anyways, <laughs> back to the Bible. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And what a perfect verse uh, for me in this season of that reminder of that um, differentiated union that I'm not maybe just a sea sponge. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes maybe I'm a branch that is a fruit-bearing branch, hopefully with my life uh, in Christ. Um, I would kind of echo that in that I think I have begun to see the Bible differently than I used to. Not I mean, there is one passage that, I, that I'll share, but there, it also just, I see God's love, um, the Bible as a love letter to me too, where I used to like go to the Bible and go, okay, this is what God wants me to do to change. <laughs> That's all I saw when I went there. I was like, okay, I got to be more this. I got to do that. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing that and overlooked the relationship that God longs to have with each of us and with me. So um, a lot of passages, like John said. Um, but the one that really, um, I think, has carried me a lot in the last um, number of years, Ephesians 3, 16 and to 19. And this is Paul toward the end of his life, and he writes to the Ephesian church, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that's how we all start out, right, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know, and that word know is the experiential know, not just in your head, but to experience this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.
Thank you, too. I'm going to have you stay up here for just a minute as I transition us to communion. The worship team is going to come out and just lead us through a closing song. And as you know, if you've been coming to Park Community Church, we take communion here weekly because we want to be reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So we have two stations here in the front, one there in the back. During this next song, when you feel led and ready, just come up the center aisles, take communion, and, and return. But I want to just think about two passages as we do this. Psalm 63, 5. David says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Now, these stale gluten-free crackers and the small little cup of communion isn't quite what he has in mind here. He has in mind this long, drawn-out, incredible relational meal that Jesus had with his disciples, and then he will have with us again for all of eternity. This is just a small little reminder for us to fill our souls on the things of God and for us to receive the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And then with Linda, what she just shared here, this passage from Ephesians 3, together with all the saints. One of the things that I love about the stations and that we can thank the Lord move away from just using those little packets in your pew is that when we move to the table, we see the saints. We see our brothers and sisters in Jesus coming to the table together, reminding one another that we are dependent for God. And so I just want to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to visit the table, to nourish your own soul, but then also as you do it, you are nourishing the souls of the saints around you as we together are moving to Jesus. Let me pray, and then we will close out our service with communion. Jesus, I thank you that you gave your body and you shed your blood that we could have an intimate relationship with God the Father. Lord, even now in this time and space, I pray that we would interact with you in an intimate, meaningful way. Lord, I thank you for John and Linda sharing some this morning. Lord, I pray that this would just be the start of all of us sharing more and more with one another as we pursue you. As David says, earnest I seek you, my soul faints for you. It thirsts for you. Lord, may that be a characteristic of this church family. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name.